Hi guys, and we are back again with this doing? week's podcast. I was um, trying to do the drop, man. Hello, and welcome back to the Popcorn for Dinner podcast. This is an episode entirely dedicated to great acting performances in two of the best films of the year. As always, I'm joined by my co-host. We're George Fatcher, aka the young hitter on the block. Okay. <laughs> I don't know, I always try to like do something quite creative in my um, my introductions, but I can't do anything. Do you always have that thing where you're like, okay, nothing creative, nothing creative, nothing creative, and you say your name, like, I have to try and come up something creative, and it's just like... Yeah, it just kind of comes out wrong. I was listening to this guy, um, do you know, have you had a, have you seen Webby's Breakfast Club drop? No. It's just a big mess. It's like, just, you go on Google and <laughs> go on YouTube and type Webby Breakfast Club and just listen to the drop, and it's just like, yeah, I kind of have one of those moments. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you want, yeah. you can message me and I'll remove it in the edit. <laughs> Absolutely not. Okay. Even, I like it. You're, you're almost like cringe where they are. Like you're real. Nice you're real to a fault. This guy's embarrassing. But yeah. How are you? How are you? How's how's this week been? Not great. <laughs> <laughs> not great. Um, what happened? DM'd Justin Sky. She didn't reply. Then, um, this thing happened. Took my car from my MOT. He's like, I knew it was going to fail. I was like, oh, just fingers crossed, you know, expecting the worst, um, hoping for the best, expecting the worst. And I get back and it's like some fat ass fucking stuff. I've got to pay for it. So. Oh, Jesus. Terrible week in general, man. Terrible week. Um, Robert took his car for the MOT as well. And I think he told them to fix something before doing the MOT. So then he came, he gets it back and then he opens it and it says like he failed. And Robert just like, he just starts shouting. I'm the only one in the. I'm the only one in the room. What? I'm the only one in the house. He's just shouting. It's like, oh, that he showed that they didn't do. They didn't fix it before they did the MOT. That they're just trying to be cheeky and stuff. And then he calls them and they're like, oh no, that was just like we just did that before we did the actual MOT. Like that's that that's not valid. It's it actually passed. And I was like, you, how do you feel now? Don't you feel like egg on your face? <laughs> well, anyway, yeah, he would love that. I told that story. Um, yeah, I watched. Judas and the Black Messiah. I'm about to yeah, watch like the interview with Harry and Meghan because I watch that. I watch the interview Harry and Meghan. What do you I mean? Watch that in the morning as well. I watch the interview because A Team H and R H and M or A Team um, Team Crown. Am I Team the Crown? Am I Team the establishment? Am I Team the group of people that that colonize our country? What are you talking about? I Team Republic. I'm Team Harry and Meghan. Like, oh dear, I'm not. I'm the last person to be so invested in something like this, right? But it's just the it's the racial undertones that had me because I, I was having arguments with people talking about oh that well, there was the racism or that Megan controlled Harry and and took him out. I'm like, so that was what that's why I'm invested in. Obviously, look, she's my babe. I want my babe from Suits. Like everybody that watches from day one, kind of we we have a an emotional claim to to to, to Rachel Zane. To Meghan Markle, but um, yeah, that was. It's like talking to the blacks, though. <laughs> oh, what um, yeah. William? Yeah, Charles. If I start talking, oh, to, I'll be to, very obviously. To them darkies, yeah. You guys can tell when we're recording this episode, so I'll be interested to see what what has changed between now and recording and when it comes out. But obviously, William saying, "Oh, we're not racist," and he went to go and find the one black teacher that was wearing. I was like, Did you see Charles just like talking to like every? 
just like talking to all them. Yeah, then... people were like, people were like, oh, that the comment about the um color of the baby was was Philip. I was like, I don't think that's Philip or Elizabeth. I was like, I feel like that's a very, I personally, if I was to bet, I think it's more William than Charles. I think it was Charles, but it can be either. But I think I think the party said it's in like a very in a very like laddish banter kind of thing, like. What they, say, what they say in the pub. I don't think it was like a serious, oh, how dark do you think this kid is going to be? I think they said it in the way that like, you know when lads, quote unquote, think they're having banter, quote unquote, after like five pints and then like, and I'm just like, ugh. Start saying all sorts. But, yeah, no, that was, that was, that was, that was an interesting interview. That was, that was very, but do you know for me, everybody's like, oh, everybody rightly was very surprised about the fact that people were having conversations about the color of the skin, this um, color of the skin of the child. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that's shocking. But the most shocking thing for me was that these guys were not going to give Archie not only a title, but security. Yeah, that was pretty mental. That's, that's, that's what killed me. I, could, I still cannot believe it because like, Archie is, or at least before this whole thing with Harry and everything, he would have been fifth in line to the throne, right? And you're telling me, not only would he not have title, he would not have security. Like he could just walk to Stratford just like without just like, any wow, security. Yeah. Are you... What <laughs> he could be if there was one car crash, like everybody above him in the in the queue could have died in one car. Yeah, and you're like this guy is not gonna have security, and then you're like, what is the reason? There's only one defining factor that stops this guy from having security or having this kind of privileges, and that's because like he has a little bit of of melanin in him. I'm just like, I could not believe it. That everybody was like, oh, they talk about. It. I was like, yeah, I understand. I, I expect British people, all British people, talk about the color of the skin, whatever. But to say they're not going to give the fifth in line a title or security, like not even one bodyguard. Oh, like, that's, yeah. that's mental, man. That's mental. No, but um, wait, do you have, do you have more thoughts on the... On the well, the, I, I mean, the whole concept of like the monarchy and royal family is just like another... I guess that's another podcast. Yeah, and look, I don't think but, um, I don't think either of us have different... <laughs> different it'd, be very, it'd be a very boring podcast. We'll just agree with all our, all our points. Like, I think we all kind of feel the same about the monarchy and all that. Um, do we? <laughs> you're gonna come out as, as a hidden hidden royalist you put the union jack in your, in your, hey, twitter, in your twitter avatar don't expose me man don't expose me on, on this pod oh my just oh this stupid this stupid oh these guys are, they don't care about you man all these guys live, they, they don't care about don't, don't defend oh anyway um but yeah I speaking of the opposite end of of the crown and royal royals. I watched Judas and the Black Messiah earlier this week, and I'm very excited to talk about it with you next week. I'm very excited. It's I thoroughly enjoyed this film, and it's not like I don't want to say too much because you haven't watched it. We're going to talk about it next week, but it's for anyone who's listening now. It's out in the UK, and who thinks, oh, I don't want to watch another bio, biopic about Fred Hampton. Like, yeah, it's a story about Fred Hampton and William O'Neill, but it's not a biopic. Like, it's not, it's really kind of like a thriller. Like, it's a thriller set amongst the backdrop of the, backdrop of the Black Panthers and Fred Hampton and everything. So, I, there are very few films that I personally be like, everyone, that I recommend to everyone, because I'm very conscious of what people like, and people might think something is a bit boring or slow or whatever, and too pretentious, but there are very few films that I recommend to everybody. Parasite was one of them right get out was one of them just shows that like i'm like no matter who you are i'm telling you watch this film and judas and black messiah is another one i'm not saying it's on the same level as but like it's one of those films i'm like i recommend to everybody i'm like time to talk about it yeah speaking of the best films of the year this episode we're talking about two of the best films of the year and personally i think two of the best individual performances of the year mm-hmm. um riz ahmed shines in darius murder's film sound of metal 
mm-hmm. and Steven Yeun of The Walking Dead fame is incredible in Lee Isaac Chung's Minari. So Sound of Metal, like I said, stars Riz, Riz Ahmed and it's written and directed by um, Darius Mada. Mm-hmm. Riz Ahmed plays a hard rock drummer who loses his hearing. Obia, what do you think of this film? Like before, what you, before we go into, what were your initial um, thoughts about this film? So I didn't know what to expect when I was going. I hadn't. I think I've tried doing this thing where I don't actually read the premise of like or watch the trailers of what yeah. I'm watching. I didn't know what I was expecting, so I kind of just went, you know, into it with an open slate, and I really, I really enjoyed it. It was one of those kind of um, you could see the character um, quite vulnerable, as well as you know him. Mm. There's this, you know, he's frustrated at, you know, about his condition and where it is at the moment and just his, you know, past life and, you know, his relationship with his partner as well. And it's just Charles trying to, you know, resolve all these conflicting feelings about all those kind of things. And it was quite interesting seeing how Riz Ahmed, just one of, probably one of his best performances. Mm hmm. And that's saying a lot because he's had some good performances. How, how he was, yeah, exactly. And how he was able to convey all those emotions in that film. Because his performance basically makes the film. Mm-hmm. Also, the sound mixing and editing is like out of this world. I think, wasn't this one quite, was this quite new? Like, I don't think I'd ever, like, I'd heard, like, you know, distorted sounds and... I get what you mean, because obviously, like we said, the movie, he loses his hearing. So there are points where they're trying to basically portray to you how... He, he's hearing, what he's exactly hearing that moment, and the music is kind of like, it's underwater, it's kind of like through a filter. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, I know what you mean, it's, it's very, it's, it, it gets you, it grabs you, like, you're like, oh, this is something different. I get what you mean, and it's like, oh, I don't really, mm-hmm. I don't really know if I've seen this before, somewhere else before, and yeah, it was definitely, it was definitely Yeah, I think those, those two, I mean, obviously the supporting cast are really good, and just like, how, everything all came together at the end, I would say. I kind of really enjoy the aspect. But I think, obviously, what stands out to me most from that movie was Riz Ahmed's performance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so, obviously, Riz Ahmed is someone that most people know from The Night Of, the incredible HBO Sky um, TV show, limited series. Mm-hmm. Some people would have known him, people like, like I knew him two years prior from Jillian Night Nightcrawler. Some people, <laughs> more, or people would then know him for Four Lions, yeah, which is something kind of that I, I only watched like three years ago. Mm-hmm. Like, so obviously, I guess if you grew up in, in the UK, you might have watched Four Lions in 2010. But I first knew of him in 2014 with Nightcrawler, opposite Jake Gyllenhaal, another great performance. And then 2016, he did The Night Of, which is kind of like what blew him up and everything. This movie is all, it's all resumed. So like the writing, directing, supporting cast, great. But... This movie does not work if he doesn't put in performances that he puts. Yeah. Right. This is this is a powerhouse performance. Um I don't know, like you said, I don't know if I enjoyed the film. It wasn't a particularly enjoyable experience, but like it's a it's a very good film and it's not really a downer. Yeah. If anything, it's quite I'm not saying enjoy it, but it's quite uplifting. Yeah. Not only its message, but just the way it's shot, mm-hmm. the interactions. So I I was not like I know you might think, oh, okay, this is just going to be one depressing movie that watched two hours just depressed about somebody losing their hair and everything. And, like, I knew, even though I tried to stay from commercials or posters or whatever, I knew there was someone deaf. And if, I, knew, I knew deafness played a big part in the film. But I thought 
he was deaf, like from the beginning, like he was right. maybe a deaf guy that was trying to come a drummer. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So when I started to film and we found out that he's not deaf, I'm like, okay, maybe he comes across someone that's deaf or whatever. So when he became deaf, I wasn't expecting that. Yeah, and it's a very in- I feel like because we talk about things that we like, I use this word a lot, but like incredible. But it's like a very incredible sequence when it starts losing that hearing. sequence when it just boom and it's just like it there just, and it's it staring just like what just me. happened. Exactly. It, it, I'm just I was just I was caught. I was grappled. I was like, oh, okay, we're we're in this. And then he, he goes through it, and then obviously he goes to the doctor, and the doctor's like, you're losing your hearing. Everything you've lost, you've lost now. You need to protect what you have left, twenty percent. And it's like just be careful. Story from noise, and then just these sharp cuts to him performing yeah. at a concert. I'm like, I'm just like, oh my god! Definitely I, like, listen, I, I was like, I literally had my hand mm-hmm. in my head. I like, my head, my head in my hands. I was like, why are you doing this? Mm-hmm. Why are you doing this to yourself? Let's talk about the film. Let's, let's talk about the film itself. I know we, we might talk about his performance again a bit, but I really something I I don't like, and I understand that people have to do it because it's part of the message. Or something I've never not liked, but I don't like seeing it come up is when an addict falls back, relapses into the addiction. Why don't you like that? I think, I understand why we need to do it because you need to obviously show that it's very easy to relapse and it's a slippery slope and every story is different. I understand it. Mm-hmm. But I think it's kind of, I feel a bit heartbroken and also a bit like, I've seen this happen before when a character that maybe has made his way back and is good and maybe something terrible happens in their life and they just fall back right even succession season one when kendall goes back i'm like oh, i wish he didn't go back but i understand why you had to do it so is that i'm not saying people should stop doing it because i understand what i didn't do for each story but I just i always feel sad or disappointed when it happens yeah that's how you're supposed to feel though yeah exactly yeah makes sense. yeah and, yeah i mean it's just one of those things where i mean it's in every movie because it works and i mean i think it's an element of truth i obviously doesn't like not like all addicts kind of go back but it's it's that easy. Like just one little one little trigger yeah. and you're kind of back down the black hole again. So for someone like like I said, someone that has those kind of feelings, I was kind of happy when he didn't like throughout the movie he doesn't he doesn't relapse into into taking heroin. But then as I'm towards the third act of the film, towards the end of the film, I realized that that's because he's no longer addicted to heroin. Like he's addicted to the music and the performance, the rush of performance. Like I think it's the Paul, the older guy, Paul Ratchet's character, says mm-hmm. like, "You're acting like an addict now." And yeah. I think about, and I started thinking about the movie. So before he loses his hearing, or rather, before he goes to that hearing community, and after, two different, they're two different characters because he's like, he's, he's more titchy, he's like more wide-eyed, he's a bit unsettled. That middle half of the film, he's very settled, very calm, even though that's when he's like deaf and. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm less abled or differently abled. So um, you then see that like he's, he had replaced like heroin and I think it was heroin that he was taking. He had replaced it with like, with music and the rush of performing. And, mm-hmm. Which is why, I think we'll talk about the end in a bit, but without obviously again giving spoilers. But it was, yeah, it was like, it was just, is this a movie I don't think I'm going to watch a second time? Why not? Maybe. Do you just hate Riz Ahmed? <laughs> yeah, just like, I hate, I hate Riz Ahmed, man. Um, no, I, <laughs> I think I could watch it with someone a second time. I can't see myself maybe in maybe in five years, maybe. Maybe it's, mm-hmm, I can't mm-hmm. see myself putting it on again to watch a, like a second time because again, like I said, it's not even though it's not a depressing film, it's not really 
would you say it's not would you say it's it's not an easy film to yeah watch? i don't think it's an easy film to watch but mm. but when the problem is that when you say that then people think that it's like just torture like it's emotional and physical torture to watch which i also think it's not it's not torture to watch but it's also just like mm-hmm. i don't know i don't know how to explain it it's not it's, <laughs> it's not fun yeah it's not, it's not, it's fun, not no. fun it's not it's depressing not fun. but it's, it's not fun it's it's kind of it's probably just reminding you of like you know life <laughs> and how sometimes how shit life is Riz Ahmed is really good in this this is a movie that unlike Judas and Black Messiah I don't really know if I'll recommend it to everyone but I still think everyone should watch it yeah everyone should watch it because of the performance I think you should watch it and make a decision whether you like it or not it's possible it's look we can watch movies and hate them like you can watch a movie and like oh I'm angry I watched that movie that's fine because there's also a chance that you might watch it and love it so don't only watch movies that you know you're going to like that's my point yeah branch out i think it kind of um it's quite important in mentioning that this movie obviously does this research mm-hmm. on just the the deaf community in general mm-hmm. yeah like i said i really like this movie and and i'm actually glad you liked it as well because i was i wasn't sure if you're good because obviously we hadn't spoken before i intentionally did not speak with you about this movie before we recorded because I wanted, I didn't know what your reaction was. I'm like, yeah, you want the fresh thoughts, innit? How do you... What's, like, your favourite, like, rock bands? Look at me. <laughs> now, as you see me like this, you think I have a... You think I haven't listened to rock at all? <laughs> to have a favourite rock band? No. Okay. That's probably why I couldn't really appreciate the movie like that, innit? Because it's... Um, I don't... What's your favourite What's your favorite rock band? Probably Arctic Monkeys, I'd say, at the moment. Is there, any, is there any black rock band? The guy from... Um, the guy from... <laughs> what's that um, band? Uh, Stones? Or Stones Rolling Stones? Versus. No, no, no. Well, Rolling Stones are heavily influenced by um, black artists. Like what's every that? white popular yeah. artist. What's his name? Sting? Sting is white, no, isn't Sting. he? No, Sting is Sting is so white. Obi is furiously googling, <laughs> looking for black rock bands, which I think makes my point. No, is it? No, it's not. <laughs> Who sang Guns and Roses? There we go. Is that a black there person in Guns and Roses? Well, it's, yeah, it's, well, it's mixed race. That one person—that's the best. <laughs> well, they're probably like some you know black rock bands and stuff. Literally, right? Every single blues band from this you know fifties and sixties Chicago blues mm. band. They all have elements of rock. The guy, what's his name? Chuck Berry was like one of the first okay. rock rock band rock guys ever. So yeah. Anyway, <laughs> but I think like what he's doing here is like heavy metal, which is definitely heavy metal. Yeah, definitely heavy metal. I mean, headache. Beyond everything, beyond the music and the deafness and everything, I think it's it's a movie about finding peace in your life. Yeah, yeah, and what that means. Yeah. You yeah, can, you can find yeah. peace in. So what you think might bring you peace and joy could be the literal opposite. I mean, obviously for him, he literally had to go deaf to find a semblance of that peace. Like, he literally had to cut out all the noise in his life to find that peace. And mm-hmm. and I think this movie is about finding that kind of peace in your life and what, how you can find that peace, what that peace, what kind of form that peace will come in. So, um... I think, look, I think pop this movie in two hours. If you don't like it, you don't like it. But I think the upside to liking it greatly, greatly outweighs the downside to not liking it. Like, if you don't like it, then you waited two hours, fine. But if you like it, it could 
it could like impact your life. And I don't want to sound because I it's not the it's not the best movie I've ever made, but it's one of those movies that like it could just maybe a little bit of your brain could just be turned in just how you see life and how you go about life. Yeah. If anything, looks an incredible performance from from Riz Ahmed, who I think we all love. So England representing. Yeah. Um, do you have any final thoughts on on the movie before we talk about its Oscar chances? No. So obviously, by the time this comes out, the Oscar nominations would have been released. Um, just by looking at it, I'm thinking. I think Riz Ahmed gets a nomination for Best Actor. I think you're right. He probably gets in the technical, like the sound mixing, sound editing, editing, things like that. Maybe a Best Screenplay. What do you think? Maybe a Best Screenplay nomination. Is this original or adapted? Uh, original. Help me out here. Original. Uh, maybe. I think it might. Yeah. I think, it might. I think, I think it's ish. Uh-huh. It's difficult because it's one of those movies that you can't. It could is a is a movie that could get like five nominations or a movie that could get zero nominations. Zero. I was gonna, I was gonna say like even best act best actor is so well. I think the winner is kind of set in stone, but the other nomin there's so many great um, performances this year, and it's just I'm not. Yeah, I'm not even sure if this guy if he makes it. I think it's likely he does, but I'm just I wouldn't you know. Yeah, like I said, it's a movie that could get zero nominations, a movie that could get five, like. Uh, I think, like I said, I think the way it could get nominations, um, the possibilities are Best Actor for Riz Ahmed, maybe Best Supporting for Paul Ratchi as the older guy. I think he got nomination for a SAG or something for Best Supporting. So it's like, maybe, maybe not. Like, it's one of those things. Um, maybe a Best Screenplay for the, for the writer-director and then obviously the sound mixing, sound editing, things like that. Um... I'll be very surprised if they got like a random best director. That'll be very. That'll be like no. I'm like oh, <laughs> the academy is angry with someone if that happened. Look, I recommend this film, and Rizamed is incredible, and we hope he gets an Oscar nomination this year. Go watch Sound of Metal, please. We're going to talk about Minari after this quick break. After the break, Minari, Minari. So. What a movie. It got to... This is this is my spec. This is like... I don't think anyone that knows me will be surprised that I really like connected with this movie. And... It, was like, it took me like twice to watch it. Because the first time I was watching it, I think it was just like bad environment. And I think I was like quite late. I was like... You know when I was like, you know what? I don't want to watch this movie the way I am right now. <laughs> so I just stopped <laughs> and I went to bed and I watched it the next day because I was like, I want to, I feel like this movie deserves me to watch it properly. Um, so Minari, like we said, stars Steven Yeun of The Walking Dead. He spent like, I don't know, six years on The Walking Dead. The movie follows a South Korean immigrant family trying to make it in America mm-hmm. in the 80s. The parents are definitely immigrants, but I think the children might be first generation. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And they move. They move from California to Arkansas, where their father, like I said, played by Stephen Yeun, plans on setting up a farm. And like, so the they want to achieve that like often highlighted American dream. That's their that's their passion. They want it. They're like, okay, we've come to America. Let's work hard and achieve the American dream and succeed and stuff like that. And I think this movie paints like this very intimate portrait about. 
this family trying to achieve that American dream and like the impact that has on them individually and like their marriage and their family. And before I go into it, like, what did you think? What did you think of this film? What I think about the movie, I really liked it. Like, it's kind of, yeah, talking about the American dream and how this guy, you know, is what he will do to, you know, make it mm-hmm. be able to, you know, kind of blow up in succeed to succeed in this, you know, country. And it's really well done. Um, I really like the relation between the boy and the grandmother and how that kind of did you develops. Sorry, but when you started this movie, did you think that that was the relationship that was going to be the emotional linchpin of this film? No. When it snuck up on me, I was like, oh, that surprised me. Okay, fair yeah. enough. But sorry, go ahead. Um, Just, yeah, I guess the frustrations of moving over as well and how you, you know, think it's always going to be green on the other side. But mm-hmm. there are always all these challenges and frustrations that come with moving and kind of realize that, oh, things are not always as nice as you thought they'd be. So it definitely touches on all these um all these topics in general. And also like what it means to be an you know Asian immigrant yeah. in a, in the eighties. And I think also what it means to be American. Exactly. I'm guessing the boy is supposed to be the director the director basically. Yeah I think so as well. It's supposed to be some kind of semi biographical um movie on his upbringing. It reminded me of something that I keep coming back to especially in the last few years. Mm-hmm. And it's how similar the rest of the world is to one another. Right. right? I, I think Eastern Asia, so it's in China, Japan, South Korea, Southern Asia, mm-hmm. Africa, they have such similar cultures and practices. that like, they overlap. The overlaps are uncanny, right? But we've been mm-hmm. fed this steady diet by American media and British media that we think that is the predominant culture. So we always think mm-hmm. that what we do like what we do back home in Nigeria or whatever is the minority. But it's only when you start talking, like for example, you start talking to other people or you see these other experiences represented on screen. They're like, oh, I do that as well. And my country does that as well. So if we all do that, <laughs> does that mean that America and Britain are the minority? <laughs> like It's just like, and yeah. it's like, because this movie, there are so many things where I'm like, that was me growing up or that could have been me growing up, but that was my friend growing up. And I was like, and this is a South Korean family in the 80s that I think resembles a Nigerian family in the early 2000s. Like, it's just, yeah. when when he when he tells, he tells the son, go get the stick. I'm like, I know that life. <laughs> yeah. Well, you flirt growing up. Um, Not really. Not, like, I've, I know other people like who have flogged a lot more, but I, don't, I wasn't really... Not like that. <laughs> I was, but like probably not as much as some other yeah, people. Yeah, well, shout out, Mrs. Afiyaki. I was a good, I was a good kid. <laughs> I'm sure she would get in touch with us. Let us know that's not true. Did you have a stick that you had to go get? No. Uh, did they ever tell you to? So what? They just what else people ever they, they could find? Just maybe like a you know smack or something. Uh, okay. Well, you see, you grew up to be a very <laughs> good outstanding member of society. So well cool, done, shout cool, out to the individual. Yeah. Um, when I find things that are just very authentic, they just they hit me different. I'm like, it's like oh shit, this is like, this is, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and but we've been led to believe that our culture, our experiences are the minority, right? But meanwhile, they're they're similar with every other. Like if we put us, if we put everybody that has a similar culture to one side and the others to the other side, we would be with like 
the Indians and the Chinese and the Japanese and mm-hmm. those people. And then, and then it would just be Americans and British on the other side. And maybe, I don't know, Sweden. And like, we would <laughs> we would be the majority. And it's just it's just sad the way that has kind of obviously been whitewashed. But again, we're not, we're, this is not, we know who to thank for that. Hello, Elizabeth. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's like, I really like this film. This is another film that is heavily dependent on a singular performance. Steven Yeun is... I haven't seen much of him since he left The Walking Dead, but that's kind of me. That's my fault. So you feel... You kind of feel this... This movie can apply to basically every sort of, like, immigrant moving to a new country. Yeah, so, I think, I think yeah. it can apply to every immigrant. and every, every that was, Most people that grew up in in their foreign countries. But I think also there is something there that can apply, that can re, you can relate to if you're a white British person, a white American person. That's that strive to be successful. Yeah. Right, that determination to be successful at what you mm-hmm, do mm-hmm. and to not fail. And whether it's we can argue whether it's a, it's good or it's bad or it takes in the right path or, or down the wrong path. But like that's something that and it, that's that's the American dream, isn't it? Like you strive and yeah. you succeed. Hard work and determination you can. Yeah. So it's weird because I I very much empathize with the boy, right? I understand because I lived that life, even though not it's not the same, mm-hmm. but I Empathize with the father as well, because I understand the desire to want to be successful at what you're doing and to want to leave a legacy. You don't want to just be the person that was sorting out chickens his entire life between male and female. Like you want to do something with your mm-hmm. life. And then the relationship between the, 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 the kid and the grandmom, it's it's incredible. I think speaking of active performances, I think Stevie Young is incredible. Mm-hmm. Um we'll talk about Oscars in a bit, but I think it's incredible. I think everyone else does their job. Every, no one is bad in this film. Some are better than others, but like no one is bad in this film. I really, I really liked it. Um, obviously, we're not talking about spoilers, but like there is that, there's that heartbreaking moment just before the end of the film. Yeah. It works. It's it's just a movie that works on so many levels. The the things that would and look, there was no racism. There was no racism in this movie. I was very happy. No, there was, there was, there was when they went to the church. Yeah, but that was that was kids being like, look, yeah. If I tell you that it was Koreans in Arkansas in the 80s, like, there was no racism. And I was like, yes, this is a movie that can depict these guys' lives without talking about the racism. That we know they most definitely experienced, but we don't need to go through it. Now. We don't need Maybe to that wasn't the... I mean, that probably wasn't what the story was trying to tell. A lesser film would have had one scene of people calling them yeah. whatever, slur. like a lesser film would have been would have focused on that but these guys were like that's not the story we're trying to tell this is a story and it's i liked it i really liked it okay before we talk about oscars yeah right and i i feel bad no not feel bad but it's a bit weird to do this uh when we're talking about um a south korean film and a film led by a british pakistani man but can we shout out brad pitt please <laughs> I've been trying, I, I wanted to tweet, I'm just trying to give Brad Pitt his flowers, man. This What this guy is doing with his production company is incredible. Yeah. He's actually right? like, like, like me, like, you know, Robert Redford and stuff, who just, you know, was really interested in just the whole film process. And, you know, now he's basically geared to, you know, move to producing movies. And he knows, the thing about Brad Pitt is kind of, he knows when to kind of step away. Acting it. Yeah. Like, this role is not for me, so I'm going to step away. Yeah. It's like, look, Plan B is doing a lot. Not only are they making, in the past maybe 10 years, they're making great 
films and TV of very different kinds of like they they did Eat Pray Love and they did Kick Ass like they they did the Big Short and they did Twelve Years of Sleeves like they do very different kind of stuff but they make good films yeah. and most importantly what I was gonna say about Brad is that they are making films he's championing people of color mm-hmm. championing people of color making films and also films about people of color so. Some movies that they've done in the last 10 years, as this is Plan B, they did 12 as a Slave, mm-hmm. which obviously won Best Picture. Yeah. I think Brad Pitt was a producer on that because he also acted in that. He, so he won, that was his first Oscar for Best Picture. Yeah. They did Selma the year later. They did Moonlight. Mm-hmm. They did Okja as Book John Ho's film. They did If Bill Street Could Talk, The Last Black Man in San Francisco. They did Minari this year. They're going to be doing... um. Barry Jenkins TV show. This is not to count the fact that they're doing things like The Big Short and and Vice and Moneyball and like they're also doing other kind of films that we like. So introducing like you know the diversity and it's just like just a quick shout out for Brad man. Like thank you for all you're doing. Thank you for bringing <laughs> Barry Jenkins films to the screen and Bong Joon Ho and um, Minari and just like thanks. I don't know. It's just like well done, man. It's just. That's cool. It's cool. Wasn't it's this cool also, that um, an A twenty four film. Yeah, it's an A twenty four distribution. But those guys are just like A twenty four and A twenty four man. They're always just gonna have everything. Those kind of films, <laughs> they know what they do. But I think they distribute and not produce. Oh, right. So A twenty A twenty four is A twenty four. They're always gonna bring out their good their good films. Well, yeah, just a quick shout out for Brad Pitt. Um, Oscars, right? I think. I know we were talking about Riz Ahmed earlier. I think Steven Yeun is more of a banker in Best Actor nomination than yeah. Riz Ahmed. Same. Yeah, I think. I think in the... Yeah, so I think he gets that that third spot, um, Steven Yeun. In a different film. In a white film with like a white British actress of 70, right? Mm-hmm. The grandmother gets nominated. I thought she was really good in this. She is I really good. She, I think she should be nominated. I think she should be noted as well, but I can't really say if she would be because, again, I can't tell you how the whites would work. But she's identified at the BAFTA, which is really cool. Really, really cool. So hopefully she gets a nomination at the Oscars as well because they didn't give any of the Parasite guys nominations last year, any of the Parasite actors, which was a travesty. That was weird. So hopefully, hopefully they try and rectify it this year. Um, this, is, this is like a 5% chance, I believe. But best supporting actor is kind of weird. So maybe the the kid, he got a BAFTA nomination. So oh, did maybe. he? Yeah. So I don't know. Maybe this. Oh, like... this film was liked by the by the Brits. Yeah, it was. I don't, it was very very random. Um, this is definitely a long shot. This kid, the kid gets into definitely. He's a ten year old. I hope like he he's good. He's really good in this film. Um. So what's his name? His name is Alan Kim. Yeah, Alan S Kim. So like, if he gets it, I mean, I think he gets. I think it's a director nomination. I think in my get, I think it's a screenplay nomination. Same. I think I think it'll probably get director, screenplay, best actor, and I think I think he gets best supporting actress. Wow. So that's we're so we're kind of like agreed on four. It looks like it's gonna get best score as well. Mm. So so it could be a five. It could be a five nomination film. That's so cool, man. This guy. So a quick story about director um, Lee Isaac Chung. So he had basically, he would made a few, I think two or three films. And he was like, okay, like two years ago, 2017, he was like, okay, that's it. 
I I think I'm you done. Retire- right? oh, you retired or you tried to retire. Yeah, I was about to retire. I was like, I think, okay, I think this is it. I think I'm not going to make get films with anymore. Mm-hmm. And then he got an offer, I think, I'm not sure, I think Hong Kong, to um, to be a teacher. Yeah. I guess film studies or whatever. And it was like, okay, this job starts in a year or so. Let me write this film. I'm going to put everything I have into this film. I'm going to make it me, personal. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm not trying to make this for critics. I'm trying to make it for fans. Or if it's my last film, I'm just trying to make it yeah. as personal as, as I can. And obviously he does that. I think he gets in talk with Steven Yeun. Steven Yeun is like, look, I want to help you make this film. I don't care if I'm acting it or not. I want to help you produce. And then I think obviously eventually they get Brad Pitt and Plan B. And then So it was meant to be his last ever film. But then he ends up like basically jumpstarting yeah. his career. So that's that's a cool story. Um, Yeah, like we said, like this is a film that I think like we both like and watch this film, man. Don't see subtitles I'm like oh I don't want to watch oh yeah it's like, a lot of um, Korean being spoken so subtitles you guys are grown man subtitles. yeah you're actually grown man you guys most of you guys do it for anime do you can do it for movies as well um you're actually grown actually that's actually the best way to put it um just watch this movie man like Bong Joon-ho said if you can get over the barrier of five inch subtitles you can it's just it's, it's a really pleasing film and it's it's one that Watch it. Even if it doesn't hit you now, I think it'll hit you in five years' time. <laughs> I think it'll hit you in ten years. I think it's like one of those things that when you experience, you're like, ah, oh, okay. Yeah, go watch Minari. Really, really, really good film. Really good mes- message as well. Kind of like the way the film was structured as well. I'm really happy that we both like this film. I think that we both like these films. I think they're both quite different, but they both kind of have not similar messages per se, but similar in terms of the tone. Turning on vibes and we're here. Yeah, so now we're just going to talk about our reactions to the first two episodes of The Falcon and Winter Soldier on Disney+. Plus. As always, I'm joined by our resident Falcon and Winter Soldier correspondent. He's always the black sidekick and never the black superhero. It's Emmanuel wow. Pius Ogiji. Wow. How are you? Wow. How are you, Emmanuel? Wow, wow. coming in hot. Always the black sidekick. <laughs> yeah, I'm doing good. I'm, I'm excited to talk about this show, and especially this week's episode. Hmm. Actually, before we do that, because I know you're such a big fan of the first Suicide Squad, let's <laughs> let's let's talk about the trailer. The trailer dropped today. Um, wow. Let's talk about the trailer to James Gunn's The Suicide Squad. Uh, have you, you, I'm sorry, I'm assuming you've seen it, haven't you? Yeah, I've seen it, I've seen it. Thoughts? So, um, it looks it looks good. It looks good. Um, I have my sort of reservations just because I think you know there's there's a lot going on in the trailer. You know, I, I mm. feel like he was just trying to. I think he was trying a bit too hard in terms of you know trying to show okay this one has more banter. There's more stuff. Basically, all the things people complained about in the first one is like, oh, mm. we didn't have enough of the team interacting. But here it's like. It's a bit much. And then also, the cast is massive. So you can kind of feel it in the trailer. And it's like, okay, I assume that, you know, it's massive because people are going to die. But then you can feel it in the trailer. It's like, if you don't shoot this person, they'll know he dies kind of thing. So everybody's just kind of there a bit. Mm. But yeah, I really like what I'm getting from um, Idris Elba as Bloodsport. Mm -hmm. Mm. Um, 
even though if you know in my head it's blood sport, but like if I close my eyes, it's dead shot. Like with the things he says, of how he acts, everything is just dead shot to me. So it's unfortunate that Will Smith didn't come back, but you know what? Um, maybe one day, I'm hoping maybe we get Will Smith and Idris Elba together in the DC movie, and I'll be happy with that. Yeah, that was my biggest takeaway from the trailer. I was just like, oh, I'm excited to see Idris Elba in this. Like. He's just using his British accents. No, no, I'm no exactly. American accent. Like I just like, I just like seeing Giselle be cool on stuff. Exactly. Like, oh, I'm excited He's to see. Him. Cool. So I've always kind of had not high hopes, but I've had good expectations for this film. I was okay. interested to see it. I think watching this trailer, I was like, oh, I don't know if this is going to be a good movie, but I know it's going to be fun. Mm. and enjoyable and you know what that's good enough yeah, at this point I, yeah i just feel like you definitely find things that you like because i feel like i don't want to get too into the trailer itself because i feel mm. like it shows me enough that i'm like okay like you know as a dc fan i see Starro and i'm like okay that's interesting i'm seeing i like what he's doing with harley quinn that's interesting um i like john cena a lot he's you know he seems to be quite good and i feel like he's an underrated comedian since he came into hollywood so that's good sylvester stallone voicing king shark is something i never knew i wanted but i'm so happy <laughs> yeah. i have it and i just love king shark in the trailer as well because it's just like doesn't care it kind of almost i don't know have you seen the harley quinn um animated show of course I'm, i i i sing its praises on this on this show <laughs> I think I've mentioned it like four times and we've done like 11 episodes. I think I mentioned it like four times. I love it. But that's yeah. a different, that's a, that's a very different King Shark as well. Yeah. It's a very different King Shark. But, you know, when this one got angry, I could kind of remember like, you know, and I was like, okay, this is, yeah, it, it kind of gave me that vibe a little bit. I was like, okay, these are the things I really like. So it's like, you know, if we can get the things like Michael Rooker's wig away, <laughs> then, you know, we're fine. Because that wig is ridiculous. I don't care what it looks like in the <laughs> comics. I don't care anything. It's just ridiculous. <laughs> um, by the by the way, you said as a DC fan, just just to confirm, like we have that you have that in four K because you and I have been having this back and forth for like I'm six fan, years. So. I'm a fan. Yeah, of no, both. no, no. Yeah, no, yeah. You're a fan of both, but like I'm a fan of both as well. But there's nah, when the wind I, blows, your body moves one side. So nah, nah. It's I'm okay. A fan, I'm a fan of both. I'm talking about DC. So uh, while okay, I say okay, yeah. well, I say as a Marvel fan, I had to Don't worry, I'll cut all this out. I'll just leave it as a, I'll just leave it as a DC fan. I'll leave wow. it there. Um, welcome to my podcast. Um, <laughs> half of this cast, I do not, I have no knowledge about. Not the cast, sorry, the characters. Oh, okay. That I was like, okay, these are people that I have never come across, uh, like from the animated shows or the live, like I just, I don't know who you are. Right. And like, when I saw Weasel appear, I was like, who, what is this? Yeah, I've, like, never, so, I've never, even I don't know anything about Weasel. I and I can't believe Polka Dot Man is getting a live action treatment. Like, I know him from the 2008, uh, what's it called, Batman Brave and the Bold, where he's just so annoying and his powers are literally churning out Polka Dots. And he's, yeah, and he's like, you just know that it's someone that like James Gunn's gonna take and like, yeah, like do the Rocket Raccoon stroke Groot's effect yeah, and just treatment kind of make you want to feel for that. Anyway, I don't know if it's a great trailer or not. Just like the movie, I don't know if it's going to be good or not, but I just know I enjoyed the trailer. Margot Robbie is just, again, impeccable casting. Like, she's she's great every time she appears as Ali Quinn. So good. I feel like she can do this character in her sleep at this point. Honestly. Um, it just, it just, Elba looks good. 
Violet Davis looks scary and also like, why the fuck am I here? Yep, yep. Um, I'm an Oscar winner. <laughs> uh, what am I actually doing here? That's actually, like, whenever I see Violet Davis, I'm like, why are you here? Like, what are you doing, Viola, in this? You know, you know one thing? I do hope, you know, she has more scenes with like everyone. Because I felt like in that yeah. first one, it was just her and Joe Kinnaman. And it's like, she almost sort of just put them... Yeah, it looks like she, she's she's doing a bit more in this. And, yeah, uh, exactly. And look, it's Viola, man. She can knock, she can knock everything out of, out of the park. Anyway. The Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Yep. So let's just quickly talk about the first episode. When you watched yep. the pilot, what were your initial reactions? Did you like it? Did you Were you underwhelmed? Mm. Were you whelmed? Shout out to Young Justice. <laughs> yes. Um, so the first episode was a bit more sort of low-key. But it was like, mm-hmm. I was getting stuff that, okay, I didn't expect this, but I like it, you know. Mm-hmm. I think uh, we had a really, like, subtle sort of um, talk about, like, PTSD with Bucky, which was important mm-hmm. to me, especially because, you know, mental health is my thing and everything. Like, I'm very passionate about that. But then also, like, um, I was also, like, happy with how it was treated. It wasn't, like, overhanded and stuff. Because I remember mm-hmm. in Punisher season one, which is another Marvel property, I feel like they went a bit too far talking about like, you know, um, that's the type of PTSD of being in the field and things like that. So it was good to see, you know, how they were talking about how Bucky was dealing with it, you know, and then there's the reveal with, you know, his friend, quote unquote, and, mm-hmm. and how that's, this is spoilers, right? Of course. But yeah, um, it's like how he... Anyone listening to this has watched the episode, so... <laughs> exactly. So it's like, okay, how he killed that guy's son in the past. It was mm. nice and absolutely a big surprise for me to see Don Chido. And I loved it. Yep, yep. Big, big surprise. I loved it. I just saw him in the... I just, I just spoiled him in the scene. I was like, isn't that, isn't that really? That was me. I had to do like a, I to do like a minus 10. I was like, wait, what? Because like, <laughs> I, was, I was actually scared that that was all we're going to get. And I was like, please don't do this to me. <laughs> so I was like, I, you know, it's one of them things, like, I haven't seen a Marvel movie for so long, so, like, a new one. So it's like, I'm, I'm just missing a lot of, like, seeing this. It actually just reminds you how much, how much you love. Yeah. And it's so weird and so childish and so geeky, but, like, I really love these guys and these characters and I just love like, these actors. Yeah. It's like, I, I even forgot, like... I wouldn't have thought I was a Rudy person. And I was just like, is that Rudy? <laughs> yes. It's like... You know, but yeah, that was great. Um, I also like that, you know, it did seem like it was really sort of setting the groundwork. Mm. You know, we saw more of, like I said, we're seeing Bucky's sort of PTSD and stuff, but we're seeing Falcon's family as well. You know, sort of the first time, which is really great. You know, we meet his sister, we meet his nephews, you know, we mm-hmm. hear about his family business, his dad, you know, um, we get the first, so if we go back to the preview when we were talking, I said, I think this is going to be a political show. We get the first sort of inklings of that with him going to the bank mm-hmm. um, and that scene. So I really like that, you know, we meet, um, what's his name, Torres. Uh, for if, you're a, uh, if you're a Sam Wilson comic book fan, you're probably excited for who that is. Mm. Um, he becomes a falcon, doesn't he? Yeah, so when Sam becomes Captain America, Torres becomes Falcon. And obviously, it's comics and it's crazy because mm-hmm. he becomes that by merging his DNA with the Red Wing, who is actually a real Falcon in the books. But Yeah, well, in comics, the Red Wing's actually Falcon. Yeah. So, yeah, Torres and 
we're on Red Wing merch and with Crazy Science. That's sure. how that happens. But... <laughs> Again, I assure you guys that's not happening in the MCU. I'm not claiming Feige, but I think I can, I can promise that. That's not going to happen. Comics are so weird sometimes, man. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so weird. Speaking yeah. of Punisher, the main vibe, and it was weird, this has no impact on what I'll say later, but the main vibe I got was that this felt to me like the first episode of a Marvel Netflix season. Mm. I just got the vibe of like a Daredevil season one or a Punisher, mm. Punisher episode one or like it just got just episode one. I don't know how, why. I don't know if it's just the fact it was Marvel and screen and obviously WandaVision was so not that, right? So you didn't have that. But it I, it didn't feel like Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., for example. It just felt like a Marvel Netflix yeah. first episode. I don't know. I just It was just... I, think, I, think I can't I get that as well. Finger it, yeah, but that was just the vibe I got. Just like it just seemed very yeah. Netflixy. I mean, I think it's just I think it might just be some of the choices, you know, like the lighting, probably, yeah, and things like that. But um, yeah, no, I definitely got that vibe as well. But then you know, we'll get into episode two. That really felt like you know I was back in, you know, the MCU proper. Like I felt mm. that different. There was a different vibe, and it's interesting because I know um, Carrie Scogland directed all the episodes. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. so I was even trying to check I was like oh maybe it's a change in director or something but she directed all of them so it's like okay so this is I guess she's a, a, she's a veteran thing. veteran TV director I, I'm not like this is like the first time I'm kind of picking out her name so mm. Carrie Scogland Falcon and Rita Soldier The Punisher Handmaid's Tale House of Cards The Walking Dead Fear the Walking Dead Boardwalk Empire 50 Dead Men Walking these are just like examples of the shows that she's been on in the last that, 10 years that's like, interesting because so we've been talking about marvel netflix and punisher and the fact that mm-hmm. she actually worked on that i guess it might be no coincidence or maybe there is a yeah probably well. probably not and house of cards which Oof. like this is a different thing but like i've said like yeah, netflix itself feels, has its own look yeah and then so yeah but hmm, maybe maybe i you see maybe i just my brain is working <laughs> i don't know it's working um i didn't love the first episode yeah I can see why. Kind of watched um, this first episode in like three different parts. I was watching it and I think I got a call. I had to do some work and then I had to go back and then. So I had to watch. So that whole disjointed feel, I think, kind of. Yeah. But I didn't. There were some parts of the writing that just didn't. It didn't work for me. I just felt like some of the writing was just. And again, I'm, I guess maybe because I'll come, we're coming from Wonder Vision, yeah. which I know I told everybody not to yeah, compare. Well, but yeah, like, it comes from Wonder Vision, which I thought the writing was really good. And then there's someone writing here. I was just like, I liked some stuff. I could see what they were doing and I like, was like, okay, this is, I, I wasn't like, oh, I'm disappointed. If anything, I was, like I said, I was whelmed. And I think I didn't really buy, I didn't know how not into Sam as a lead character I was. Mm. Like, I didn't realize that I, I wasn't really believing Sam as a lead character just yet. Okay. Like, which is, and I, and I, I, so I thought about that and I kind of made a decision or that computation before I watched the second episode. And obviously, seven minutes in the second episode, Bucky's there. And I was like, yeah, this feels this feels more comfortable. Like, Sam with Bucky just feels yeah. more comfortable. And I, I was like, I like this, as opposed to Sam dealing with his family mm. issues. Which is obviously good for character development, and we need to... But I also didn't it's really like care. Work, yeah. I know it's important, and it, it will help, mm. obviously, build the character, but I just did not care about it. Which is interesting, because they were not in this episode. They might not be in the next episode if they're going to see... If they're going to see Zemo in episode three... It's possible that these guys, the family, will not be there. Mm-hmm. So, like, when would they come back? Um, but yeah, I think let's just let's just go to the yeah. second episode. Yeah, let's go to so, second episode. Obviously, 
probably won't start from the cliffhanger of episode one, right? Yeah, first episode ends with the white man unveiling a new Captain America. They said the black man cannot be Captain America, so they took the shield and gave it another white To be fair, the man. black man on his own, the black man on his own, thought it was yeah. right and, let it, and gave it up. Because he knew. Because he knew. We'll get into that. This episode um, deals with that quite in the we'll, world. Yeah, definitely we'll get, we'll get into that. Ways. But yeah, that's 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 how it ends up. So this episode kind of starts with I think like a six, seven minute focus on John Walker, which can I say it's you know what, yeah, that's just whoever wrote that name, I don't know who created the character, but whoever wrote that name for a biz a fake Captain America, that's that's perfect, man. That's that's more perfect than John Doe. Like John Walker, that's just like take that's like the blandest white military <laughs> name you can find. Just take it. So that's inc- that's incredible, but yeah, it starts with John Walker. We kind of get a history of his, we get a background of his history, his military history, and we see some. I'm just gonna say John Walker has some incredible shield technique. Mm-hmm. I that was like the stuff he did in the montage, the stuff he did when his friend was falling off the. I was like, what? How are you doing that without like superhuman calculation? And then so we're gonna get into who John Walker is. I personally. I have a bit of stock in Wyatt Russell. I, I really like, I like when I see him in anything. I'm excited to see him and stuff I watch. And yeah, so that's how the episode starts. And then obviously Sam and Bucky join up to go fight the Flag Smashers, who apparently are all super soldiers because nobody wants to learn that the super soldier thing never works out well. Everyone wants to create their own. So, so yeah. um. I enjoyed the second episode a lot more. I was I was engrossed. That's the word. I was I was in it throughout. And I think, look, the Sam Bucky dynamic works. I don't think there's anything to change there. I think, I it just works uh, for me. So let's let's try not to separate them as much. In my own yeah. opinion, what were you? What are your thoughts on? So second I episode? think this episode, like you said, kind of showed me why it's Falcon and the Winter Soldier, and it's not just a Falcon show, mm. it's not just a Winter Soldier show. They need to do it. You need yeah. to have them together. And the good thing is that in this episode, it was really balanced out. Like, you know, it was like 50-50. Both of them got good lines, good action, everything. It's not like yeah. you know, someone is tagging along. Nobody's anybody's wingman. Shout out to um, John Walker's shady line. But, <laughs> so yes, yeah, so I really, really like that. Um, it just, I think it was just like, I just really got engrossed because in like the first five minutes, you kind of see what I wanted the show to be, which is what is happening in the shadow of Captain America. You know, the government have got their agenda. And I think the kind of way mm-hmm. to almost sort of um, summarize it is everybody wants to be Steve Rogers, you know, in their own different way. You know, everybody wants to be him. You know, Sam doesn't think he's good enough. You know, he doesn't think he's a man enough to make the symbol, you know. And that lack of self-confidence leaves room for someone like John Walker, who you just just get the vibe that he isn't good enough, but he thinks he is. So he takes it on, you know, Bucky's there thinking about like, you know, if Steve was wrong about Sam, you know, he's probably wrong about me, which is my best line in the episode. And it's just, it's just a, such a, it's almost such a big homage to Chris Evans, Captain America, just the, the way it's all set up and like how, how, his own sort of legacy, um, you know, creates what we're seeing in this show. 
I guess the other thing I wanted to say was that it probably says a lot about me that after everything John Walker did, my biggest grievance was that they gave him that Caps music from Winter Soldier when he came into that action scene. But he's Captain America they actually now. Get, to get they the gave team. him that theme music and they knew what they were doing. Because <laughs> but immediately he jumped out of the helicopter. I had, I had to pause. I was like, oh no. They like, no. Why? Why? Like, I accepted the... The, the, the shaky suit. I accepted them calling him Captain America because I think in the comics they skirt around it and they call him US agent. But this one they went full on and they gave him the music. I was like, come on, man. They even gave him his, his black sidekick. But <laughs> let's talk about that. Let's talk about that quick. I don't want to talk about let's just talk about that. Let's talk about that. The show has to know what it's doing, right? Like that's not a mistake. The show is To be fair to them, it's comic accurate. John Walker. I would have preferred if it wasn't comic accurate, you know, because it's like the show knew what they were doing and they were just trying to make a point of like black sidekick. I think I think it's a bit of both because in the in the comic book, the little I do know about the John Walker run and Battlestar. I love when I love when um, Bucky's like Battlestar. Battlestar. Stop okay, the car! It's like, like these like, guys are is... pretending. <laughs> like you guys are kidding. Like there's no how a serious person is going to name himself Battlestar. <laughs> Like, nah. So, um, it is comic accurate. Um, so, in the Captain America comics, I think it's always been, there been versions of Captain America, but it's always been Captain America and a Bucky. So, mm-hmm. Battlestar, Lamar Hoskins was actually Bucky before. And then, you know, there's a story there of how he discovers Buck has racial connotations, so he becomes Battlestar. Which... I don't, uh, I don't know who he's Buck has second, I didn't know that. Yeah, so apparently um, when black slaves were bought, uh, bought a lot of times they were called Bucks by their slave owners. So wow. he changed his name. Uh, to see. But yeah. Racism. <laughs> I don't know if Battlestar was the answer to it, but, you know, shout out Lamar. <laughs> I, okay, maybe these comics accurate, but sorry, the show, even if they don't, Exhibited, they have to know what they're doing. That no, no, no they definitely know. Black side people and all that. They definitely know, and I think it's something I want to actually give a shout out to the show for because although there are a lot of things here and characters that are comic accurate, that's they're comic accurate, but there's a new spin on it. So even mm-hmm. this battle star thing, there's a new spin on it. It's not just you know picking up you know whatever. It's just like oh, let's just lift towards his sidekick in the thing. It's like mm-hmm. they definitely know what they're doing with that one. That black sidekick yeah, thing, no. but then also like um, just to skip ahead a little. So with the Flag Smashers, the leader is Kali Mottengal. In the mm-hmm. comic books, Flag Smasher is a villain called Carl Mottengal, who he has pretty much the same sort of motives, you know, no boundaries, whatever. But then you know they gender bend it. And... What are the what are the Flag Smashers' motives? What do they want? Also, so we should probably talk about that. Yeah, so in um, episode one, I think Torres mentioned it's like they want things to be the way it was in the blip. So they don't want boundaries. They don't want like, you know, we're protecting our country kind of things. They just want one world. Now, (laughs) that's not... Yeah, it's a bit extreme, but it's not the worst idea in the world. Like there's some some points there. They made some points. It's redeemable, yeah. I was like, Torres, are you sure you're describing the villain? Because this is... Yeah, I think it's more about their I can't methods. I some yeah. points here. I think it's more about their methods. And it's, the king, it's the Killmonger T'Challa thing, exactly, isn't it? Exactly, yeah. And I think it's also good that they're fighting, you know, in a world where the hero is named after a country. <laughs> yeah, because that's, that's, the, that's the thing, though, isn't it? It's 
It's um, and obviously random plug for the Captain America Captain America piece I wrote like what two years ago on, on my uh, blog. My favorite one. But um, it's the thing is like the guy that the white man that unveils the new Captain America is like we need somebody basically to defend this country. Like, like I don't care if Thanos is coming down or whatever. <laughs> like we need someone to defend this country, defend America with the name Captain America, and it's the whole nationalism thing, isn't it? Yeah. So. If if I was, if you show me those two things on a piece of paper and say who's the hero and who's the villain, I'll tell you the hero is Flag Smasher and the villain <laughs> is Captain America because that's nationalism and that's them trying to that's xenophobia and everything. And it goes back to why Sam and I don't want to talk about it too much until the show actually talks about it. I think Sam returning the shield is not yes, it's in part believing that he's not good enough, but it's also he's like, do I want to be Captain America for this country? Yeah. Like I can't get a loan. Yep. For my family, do I want to be Captain America? After literally risking your life for how long? You know, being away for five years. Yeah, does that. does America care for my skin color? Like, am I just putting like, a bigger target on my back now if I'm Captain America? Do I want those people to be like, no, you're not my captain? Yeah, exactly. Like, so do I want that? So, and I think his conversation with Isaiah would that's only what, what I was getting would to. only convince him more that like, look, these guys are they're just gonna use you and yeah. take out what they can and and send you off. Isaiah, let's. Yeah, I'm hoping that he'll come back again because there's lots of questions and I don't, I don't, I don't talk about him in future episodes. But yeah, yeah man, he's he's portrayed by our guy, Carl Umbly. the OG, the OG Martian Manhunter, Carl Umbly. Um, I was very, I, I was surprised when I saw his, when I saw him. I was like, oh, okay, yeah, I mean, the last time I was like, oh my god, he, it's just one of those guys that yeah, I'm just so happy to see. And then you know, obviously here speaking in a brusher American accent, it's not like his sort of quiet voice when he's playing John Jones. Mm. But you know, I'm just so excited to see him. And we're talking about um, Sam not wanting to be Black Captain America and what that could mean. You know, I think it was great for the show to give us Isaiah Bradley and then show us all right. This is what you know. This is what um, this is a possible future, effectively. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. where you're used. He's just, everything about him has been under the radar. There's no glory. He's just living out on his own alone. And he was a hero, you know. Um, we get his grandson, who is supposed to be a young Avenger. Sorry, I'm picking out all these little, little Easter eggs every time. It's like, okay. How did his grandson? This is Marvel. We don't waste, we don't waste real estate. That's true. <laughs> we don't waste real That's estate here. We don't waste real estate here. The black kid living out with him is his grandson, and he has he has a he has a destiny. It's like Donald Glover appearing in in the what they call it, Spider-Man. He's he's like his Miles' uncle. Just exactly. like we don't we're not wasting time. You're we, don't, right. we don't waste we don't waste real estate here. You know, once you hear as I Bradley, just know somebody around is going to be. So was his grandson? Even though that's, that probably would not happen anytime soon. But was his grandson's power? Was his name? Actually, say so his um his patriot. So he in in like the Young Avengers team, he's pretty much Cap- their Captain America kind of thing. Aren't Wonder's kids in the Young Avengers as well? That's what I'm saying. We're getting there. Wiccan and Wiccan and um, what's his face? Speed. Speed. Yeah. So they're in the Young Avengers. Um, <laughs> that writer was tired. He was tired. <laughs> Friday night. It was like, oh, I can't think of a name. I have to go home. Um, Speed. He's fast. Let's let's call him Speed. So, so definitely, I think Young Avengers is coming because those two are there. Mm. Cassie Lang is there. Okay, Miss Marvel is she? Miss Marvel isn't, but I mean mm. they could always put. We can throw her there, but so Cassie Lang just got recast for the next Ant Man. Um, what's her? Well, they recast Cassie Lang again. Yep. <laughs> Did you miss Why? it? 
Nah. I, I missed that news, but why? They, they already had someone for, for Endgame. Endgame. Nah, they recast her for Atman 3. Because apparently he's a bigger role. I can't remember who they cast for the life of me just now. That's quite... But, or is he a bigger actress? I think that's so, That's yeah. quite painful for the yeah. Endgame. For the Endgame uh, girl. Life, life, life is life. Yeah, at least it was in the second biggest movie of all time, so... That's a travesty on its own. On the fact that Avatar can just open whenever they feel I like don't it. even... I don't, I don't want to talk about Avatar <laughs> because I have even... Avatar is the... I think Avatar is the most inconsequential blockbuster ever. Like, when last you have an Avatar discussion? And that's the, big, that's the biggest movie in the world of all time. When last anybody talk about Avatar? No other movie has four anyway. sequels in development at the same time. That's all they I, say, I think it's just all four. <laughs> I don't even I don't talk about Avatar. They stopped him at two. But, <laughs> yeah. Um, so, and then there's... Like, uh, we don't even know if you... Anyway, yeah, sorry. Go ahead. No, I was going to say, and then there's the Hawkeye series. And what's her name? I've forgotten. Jesus. Kate Bishop. Kate Bishop, uh, played by... Hayley Steinfeld. Yeah, so she's also in the Young Avengers. So it's like, okay, I feel like that is coming at this point. Oh, okay. So also on Isaiah is that, mm-hmm. you know, I think he's an important character, you know, for a lot of people in comic books because obviously, um, you know, they were testing the super soldier serum on African-American males for a long time. And it mirrors, you know, things that happen in America with uh, mm. vaccines and, you know, things like that, where they claimed they were testing them um, or just trying out vaccines. But, you know, they were just focusing them on African-American people and a lot of people lost their lives and stuff like that. So it's quite good to see, um, I guess, something like a Marvel show kind of address that to some extent. I don't know mm. if they're going to go into that detail. I think one of the biggest things I remember in the comments from Isaiah is that he shows up at Black Panther and Storm's wedding and all the black characters geek out. Um, the cage goes... Oh, like, so like he's like a, he's yeah. like a cult hero in the yeah. black Marvel so, universe. So the, only the black characters knew who he was. Like Wolverine yeah. had no idea, but then, you know, Luke Cage is like, you know, he was the first me. Um, Falcon geeks out, all these types of things. So they respect him. Like, literally, he... Yeah, I really hope. I'll be... I'll be surprised, but very disappointed if he doesn't. We don't see him again. So I think there's a few things as well, though. Just kind of like tease that. Obviously, we're going to see Zemo. You know, mm. I think that therapy scene was great because you know it's telling us how Sam and Bucky sort of feel. I think that's something they're mm-hmm. going to deal with. I think there was a tease when um Carly was getting texts. I think that's supposed to tease. Power broker for the people that were always it's a very shady organization, but they've always like pushed the guys that were chasing them at the at the airstrip. Yeah. And they've always like I think they're the ones who have always pushed to do the experiments of like, you know, we can't just have one super soldier, we need more kind of thing. Uh mm. just kidnapping people from prison and that's how Luke Cage becomes Luke Cage. Basically they're involved in all those things. Um so yeah, so I guess those guys would probably come up more as villains. Um but yeah, I'm 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 really excited and yeah. So John Walker in not in the comics like in the show in the Marvel Marvel Cinematic Universe, he's just a normal person. Yes, like, who tested no, no. who tested off the charts for they they ran it through so quickly. Tested off the charts for physique, tested off the charts for intelligence for agility. So he's just a very smart athlete. Like there's nothing no no super strength in him. And huh, nah, okay. apparently yeah. Even though he fell off the thing, but uh, yeah, apparently it's just a really and you know, I guess, I guess, um, just top of the line kind of uh, athlete. To be intriguing if that's a lie with his military training. Imagine if that's a lie. Imagine if, like the government has 
run some tests on him. And maybe he doesn't even know. I think I think we're getting. I think he's normal human right now, like in the mm. way that Black Widow is a normal human in the MCU, <laughs> and, and and tries True. to okay. and tries to hurt Karana, everyone. But um, I think the way there's a look um, and shout out to at Russell because this is the first thing I've seen him in. But I really like you know I think I could see in this episode he's a really good actor. There's a look when he gets punched off in that fight. And later on, when he realizes they're super soldiers, and I was like, I want that. That's what I got mm. from that look. It's like, I want that, or I need that. I think eventually... I mean, he said he's just trying to be that. the best Captain America he can. So maybe he thinks that's the best way to, to, to get yeah, to I it. Yeah, I think eventually that would that would, that would come up. I'm excited for the next trip. I'm excited to see Daniel Brühl back. Love excited that. to see um, Emily van der Kamp back. Excited to see what Wyatt Russell is going to do. I I think Buck is really funny. Yeah. In these two episodes. And I, I want to see more of that. And I yeah, I like I liked Sam more in this episode and I think I'll like him as the show goes on. Bucky went on his first date since what was it called? The forties? I yeah. didn't even give him a and, shout out. It was terrible. And it was <laughs> because it was, it was a bad date. He just walked off. It was absolutely terrible. Who plays Battleship for a date? Get your PS4 up. <laughs> I loved when he was like he he read Lord of the Rings when it first came out. And yeah, that that is one of my favorite bits as well. The big three: Android, yeah, aliens, or wizards. Thank you for doing this. Thank you for coming back. Um, see you in in two weeks. Yep, can't wait. Wonder what wonder what have happened in in those two weeks. Um, yeah, so we're gonna head out now. Shout out to my co-host Obira Georgie Fiatcher. Shout out to the movies we talked about, Minari and Sound of Metal. If you guys can, please go watch these movies. Two very um, personal and affecting films. And great performances from Steven Yeun and Riz Ahmed. Shout out to our producers, Ebuka Namani and Chinedu Heji. Shout out to our Falcon and Winter Soldier correspondent, Mano Payasukichi. And yeah, man, like I said, we're running through the movies. We're talking about movies that we like from last year many of which have been nominated for the Oscars, so we put out the list. If you want to watch them and get involved in the conversation, please feel free. We Last week, we spoke about David Fincher and Mank and Zodiac, and then we spoke about Aaron Sorkin and The Newsroom and The Trial of Chicago 7 and A Few Good Men and Moneyball and all the great kind of stuff he's done. And yeah, we're going to talk about more as we go on. Yeah, man, everyone, please stay safe. Take care of yourselves. And join us next week when we'll be joined by, as always, the incredible John Boyega. See you guys then. Bye.